This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at com and the Segal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Well, I mentioned how excited I am to speak with Scott Shea. Scott Shea is co-founder and chairman of Signature Bank. He is a prolific author. He has some amazing books out there. His essays have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Daily News, Bloomberg, The Hill, Jewish Week, American Banker, Forward, and many others. He's been thinking about universities ever since he became the first person on either side of his family to attend one. The brand new book is called Conspiracy U. Conspir- and it's not Y-O-U, it's U, like we're used to uh, seeing on the uh, logos of universities. Conspiracy U, a case study. Scott Shea, happy Hanukkah and a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Hanukkah Sameach to you, and it's great to be here, Nachum. I appreciate that. It, would this book have been written, and would it have been written the same way if not for this atmosphere that we are now in in this country where it seems everything, not just Jews and Zionism, but it seems everything is in the crosshairs to be canceled by cancel culture? You know, it's very interesting that the anti-Jewish sentiment on campus has actually been building for decades. And and has and the problem is when it happens on campus and to a great degree what's happening in our greater society is a function of what's going on on campus, including importantly anti-Semitism. And what I show in the book is how severely anti-Jewish bias, uh, conspiracy theories about Jews are masquerading a scholarship at universities all across the nation. Right. And I focus specifically on Northwestern University, which is not considered typically a radical university. And the reason you focus on Northwestern is? I have two degrees from Northwestern. And while I was there, so this is going back a few decades, a professor by the name of Arthur Butts, a full tenured professor, wrote a book called The Hoax of the 20th Century. And in it, he claimed that the Holocaust didn't happen. Now, my father is a Holocaust, was a Holocaust survivor. And when that came out, and this is many, many years ago, um, I knew something was wrong. But here's the key. I hadn't read the book. But once I did, I started writing an essay on, uh, in honor of my father's, or in memory of my father's 75th, uh, 75th anniversary, my father's liberation from Dachau. And I actually jumped into the um, to the rabbit hole of reading the hoax of the 20th century, and I realized that Arthur Butts claims not to dislike Jews. At, at, they're okay. But at heart, he says he's an anti-Zionist. Mm-hmm. So he was actually an early proponent of the conflation between Zionism and Judaism as an excuse for anti-Semitism. Right. But what's critical is how he did it. He did it by using conspiracy theories. Well, there's thousands and thousands of documents all over Europe explaining, showing that there's no question there was a a serious plan to destroy and create a final solution, quote-unquote, for all the Jews. There are Nazis that confessed to committing, to murdering, to being perpetrators, to being witnesses, etc. So he just, and this is the key, and it's the difference between a conspiracy theory and a theory about a conspiracy. Because he's creating a conspiracy theory, he just expands his theory around the facts. Mm-hmm. So what happened? All these devious, moneyed 
evil cabal of Jews, they planted documents all across Europe to be accidentally, quote-unquote, discovered. And all those pure, innocent, well-being but hapless Nazis, oh, they were bamboozled, to use his word. They were somehow brainwashed, gaslit by evil, devious Jews to confess the crimes against humanity that they never had the slightest slightest conception of actually doing. Oh, we are so clever, and our ancestors were just so clever. But one of the points I, I need to go back to for a moment, um, you, you not only did you say that this study began decades ago, which of course is very significant and important. People shouldn't think that the culture we're in today, or the culture the Jewish people are in today, or the target that the Jewish people and Zionists are in today, uh, we, we, we shouldn't think that this is a new thing. This is something you discovered years ago, but, oh, there's, no. but, but there's one other thing I need to emphasize, and I, I need to know if you agree with this. I think based on what you just said, you do. That the, the, the culture that we now are experiencing in the United States of America all emanates from the college campuses, meaning it is that atmosphere of academia, that atmosphere of uh, intellect, intellect that, that breeds these types of conspiracies and theories, and then all of a sudden you see that they seep into regular society. Would that be a correct evaluation? There's no question about that. Let me give you a few frightening statistics. Uh, 11% of Americans under 40, adults under 40, believe that the Jews caused the Holocaust. 15% agree with butts that, uh, that it's all the made Holocaust up. was either a myth. He, he does say maybe some Jews died in a typhoid outbreak. It was either a myth or was hugely exaggerated. And the there's another study I cite, which is frightening, because we used to think that the solution to anti-Semitism, to anti-Jewish hatred, was, um, was education. Right. But in a very careful study of of prejudice against Jews versus others. So questions were asked, for example, should a Jew be able to be allowed to wear keep in the military? Should a Sikh be able to be allowed to wear a turban? Should a Seventh-day Adventist uh, be given special accommodation to take off Saturday? Should a Shabbat, a Shomer Shabbat, they don't use the word Shomer Shabbat, should a Jew be permitted to have the Sabbath, the Shabbat off. And the amazing statistic is that if you ask the question about the Jew, people are who graduated college are five percentage points, not not more, but five percentage points more likely to say no to the Jew. But if they went to graduate school, they were 15 percent more likely to be prejudiced against the Jew versus the other example. So the more education you're getting, the worse it is. And let me just give you one other, one other example, which is critical um, and, and, is a boy, and is causing a boycott of Israel that nobody's talking about. It doesn't just stay on campus, is my point. Morningstar, and I, write, I wrote an article about this in Jewish Link, and it's appeared in some other places. Morningstar um, is essentially embedding a bias against Israel in its uh, ESG and some of its ratings of, you know, whether or not companies are socially conscious. So if they're doing business with Israel, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the kind of thing you actually couldn't get away with if it were, we were talking about any other group. Right. But, you, but because this deep anti-Jewish bias is being indoctrinated in, by some scholars – 
And by the way, I have to say one last thing. It's not only on the, the right, it's on the left. Let me give you the example of, prof, of uh, Professor Stephen Salada, who wrote, the Nazi Holocaust, I'm quoting him, the Nazi Holocaust in Europe seems a direct antecedent to Israel's founding. There were plans from the outset of Zionism to rid the promised land of its indigenous peoples. The problem with the remembrance of the Nazi Holocaust is that it happens in isolation from relevant historical events and worse from its ongoing consequences. It's not very useful at all if a corresponding genocide is taking place with the Palestinians at the hands of Israel. This stuff is being written. These sorts of things are being set on campus, in syllabuses, and published by places like Duke University Press, Stanford University Press. The thing that I do in my book, which most people just sort of have this, this, this you know, sort of view, like you said, which is bad things are happening on campus. I actually, right. chapter and verse, are, is, are, I'm giving the evidence. And this is what we need as a community, is to say, here is the actual evidence. Here are the quotes. Here's what people are saying. It's not just some sort of we're waving our hands. And that's why I spent all of my discretionary free time for 20 months just reading everything that these folks wrote and creating a record. That's why I'm so passionate about this book, and that's why I want people to read it and to be able to give it to others and to confront uh, confront universities that are that are trafficking in, in centuries-old blood libels against Jews. It is a brilliant case study. The book is called Conspiracy U. Scott Shea is the author. Conspiracy U, a case study. You can actually go to Scott Shea's website. You'll see that it's available uh, right there on the homepage, scottshay.com, Scott with two Ts, shay.com. I think, and I, I, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I think you'll know where I'm coming from. I think the most important question you ask in the book is the one that probably has the most complicated answer. And that is on page 173, Mr. Shay, when you say, why does Judaism and Zionism drive their opponents crazy? What is it about us that the, both the right and the left, usually it's the right that's against a certain group or the left that's against a certain policy. Why is it that across the board we drive everyone crazy? Well, this is an answer that I, I've been doing a lot of radio and <laughs> TV lately, but this is an answer that probably only your listeners will get. It's because... Both the right and the left have their own avodazara, mm. the far right and the far left. In other words, idolatry is 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 in, in is deep inside of far right and far left ideologies. People have created their own god, king, pharaohs. Right. And the commonality is, if you're an idolater, you always know that there could be a bigger god somewhere that can beat up your god, right. and that can. And what happens is, is that the 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 Torah, the Bible basically says, no, there's one God. And so that is a very, and one God, and the, I don't need to tell you, your listeners, the seal of truth right. is, the, is, that's what the Talmud said, is the seal, the seal of God is truth. Right. And this whole thing about my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, it's bunk. And there is truth, and we have to find it. And that's what the Torah, and that's what Tanakh says, is you have to search for truth. So if we're, if we're hated by everybody, we're doing something right. A hundred percent. But look, we have a mission. This is why I think part of the reason why God put us on the planet is that 
we have a mission here to be an Orla Goyim. We have a mission to be a light unto the nations. And so we can't shrink from that. And one of the reasons we shouldn't just say, okay, this is all happening. I'm going to forget about this. And I feel this personally. You know, let, let, let folks just, you know, we're going we're gonna to make our own, our own Shabbos, as it were. You, we can't do that because these kinds of, when a voter Zara really infects society, bad things happen. And it's really up to us to put this on the table right. and to say to universities and to academia, no, truth is important. That's what we've been trying to say for 3,000 years is, is there Sinai. Is there a difference between a conspiracy and a lie, meaning that you? it seems like you're, you're hesitant in the book to call them all outright liars. Uh, you're giving them a little bit of credit that they're forming their opinion based on certain evidence or papers have been written or research that's been done, even if all the research is completely false. Is there a difference between an outright lie and what you call a conspiracy? Oh, there, there is. Look, first of all, an outright lie is disprovable. Mm-hmm. If, if you say that um, X is Y and I can show you the facts and you, you believe in truth, I can disprove it. The problem is, and I'm not really giving them credit, I'm actually more fearful that they're trafficking in conspiracy theories, right. is that what I show in the book is that whenever there's evidence that contradicts the conspiracy theory, it's just like Arthur Butts who says, who expands his theory to say that the crafty Jews planted this evidence. Um, The crafty Jews just caused these pure, innocent Nazis to confess to crimes against humanity that they didn't commit. But the same thing goes on the far left. When you talk about, when, and I, we didn't have a chance to talk about this too much this morning, but I show in the book the, the conspiracy theory on the left, that Jews are conspiring with police departments across the country and world to oppress people of color. Right. Well, you can show evidence that it didn't happen. I do to some degree, but I mean, it's so ridiculous. You wonder why you have to. But once you do that, the conspiracy theory just expands right. again to say how crafty and devious these people are. And that's so the, the problem is it's unfalsifiable. And that's the reason, by the way, that you'll see Palestinian flags at BLM rallies, and you'll see them at anti-Rittenhouse rallies, and you'll, you'll see because because it's it's all lumped into one that you know if something bad is going on and if there's you know something that society is quote unquote suffering from in some way it all emanates from the Jews being. Uh, to, uh, being oppressive to the Palestinians. It always seems like that's what it comes back to in some way, shape, or form. Well, and, you know, it's sort of uh, incredible that, you know, what's going on, even when I was reading in the papers this morning about what's happening to the Uyghurs, which should make everyone on this, right. on the, on the sh- uh, everyone cry. Right. But no one can talk no. about that. The Warwinga, we not. No right. one can talk about it. No one's paying much attention to it. Nobody Certainly no cares. one's boycotting China, right. that's for sure. Yeah. Um, we can't get enough ships in from China. Right. Nobody so cares. This amazing. is, But that, too, is a sign of a sort of an insipid, insidious anti-Semitism. Right. If nobody cares and the Jews are somehow separated, then that's a problem. And I show that's what I'm trying to do in my book is to get to these underlying... Right. Concepts that, that people are being taught in college, like 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 mother's milk. But why is there a perception then, or why do we want to believe um, that 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 there's that there are so many good people in this country, and that when students are sitting in these classes 
on the college campuses, many of them will object to what's being said. And Americans generally have a positive attitude toward Israel and toward the Jewish people. Is this just wishful thinking? Do we make up our own conspiracy about how much we're loved because we're so afraid of what's going on? Well, no, but I think our enemies, and we should never really underestimate our enemies, uh, the enemies of the Jews and the people who are coming up with these conspiracy theories, and this I also show in the book, there's a political motivation. In many cases, conspiracy, the propagators of conspiracy theories recognize that what they're saying is made up and are, you know, a set of lies. And um, they, so... The, the folks who are coming up on the far left realize that Jews are, are like, so they come up with these notions of anti-normalization, of compulsory Zionism. So they've diagnosed the same thing we are, and we shouldn't underestimate their ability to try to change the narrative. Don't forget, things change dramatically. Just look at New York from right. you know the 50s to the 70s. Look right. at Berlin from the teens to the 30s. Right. Things can change, and that's the long-term goal that the BDS movement, and I show, I show academics who actually articulate that. They realize this is a long-term battle, and they're determined to win it, to change public opinion. So we shouldn't rest on our laurels here. Yeah, no question about it. And the fight is a is a long battle, as you just described. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll see the fruits of all this labor if, for those who are fighting on the front lines uh, quickly. But the chances are that if we do have success, it's going to take a long time to get there. By the way, I'm sure people are wondering, is it only Northwestern? Is it only a specific region of the United States? Is it only a certain percentage of college campuses? Uh, if, we, if we'd lump them all together, what would we learn about the college scene in general nationwide? Uh, unfortunately, I use Northwestern as a case study, but I give other examples. I mean, at Rutgers, there's a full professor who's won awards for her books who says that Jews are are, are maiming uh, Palestinians, are starving them, and are mining their organs um, to be transplanted into Jews. So the craziness is at uh, Rutgers. The craziness is at all sorts of universities that are saying things about Jews that could not be said about any other group. It's widespread, um, and it's extremely worrisome. That's why I wanted to get this out there, do a chapter by verse, but I do talk about other universities as well. Uh, Northwestern is my case study. The, uh, there are many parents, I'm sure, listening who, are, uh, who have sent students uh, to you know, campuses around the country and are certainly considering doing so. I guess one of the words of advice you would give them was with all the tools that, that, that this student needs in their toolbox to survive as a Jew on these campuses in general, they've, they've got to add more now because they're going to confront both students and professors who are virulently anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, and they're going to make them the target of their displeasure. Uh, and, and I would think that, um, I'm sure you'd agree, that one of the best things we could do as parents and grandparents in this regard is to prepare these children accordingly. For sure. One professor who wrote a book at Northwestern University that was that was published by Stanford University Press worries about Jews who are moles in their in their in their classes. Wow. And you know, quote unquote moles. I mean, that's the yeah. word she uses. And I, again, couldn't say that about any other any other group. But I, here's the thing that's most important in my message to parents. Yeah. I actually, the question you just asked me when I give talks is 
probably the most common question I get, um, which is, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to help our students? Well, the first thing to do is this shouldn't just be, this is a serious mistake if we say this is up to students, because the power dynamic at university is such that the, the faculty and the teachers are giving the grades. If you want to get into a graduate school, if you want to get a reasonable degree, uh, a reasonable grade, you've got to sort of parrot, unfortunately, sadly, what the professors are saying. Right. It's really got to be something where uh, the, the, the adults get involved, and not the young adults, but the, the, the adults in the community get involved, confront universities. Let's not forget that our taxpayer dollars are supporting, in some cases, these universities. In many cases, Jews are alums. Of these universities, some of them are board, some of them are board members and presidents of some of these universities nationwide. A hundred percent. I spoke to one board member. Well, I'm sorry, one president, pres, not president, a chair person of the board of trustees, who is a involved Jew. And I, I at, at at the campus that he's involved with, I, I gave him some names of here's what here's the bunk that professors at your university are writing, and. Many people just shy away, and they say, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to get engaged, and that's why I really wanted to write this book because, and, may, it's, and, and get it out there because there's plenty of evidence. There are plenty of Jews involved in the university community, right. but we have to find our voice because silence is complicity. Scott Shea is the author. The book is remarkable, and everybody out there, I am asking you to make sure to get it, to read it, to internalize it, and then act upon it, because there's a lot of work to be done. All of us uh, have the opportunity. We know a lot of people out there. Uh, everyone has an opportunity to make a difference in what's happening on our college campuses and in this country in general. Scott Shea's book is called Conspiracy You, a case study. You can go to his website, scottshay.com, Scott, S-H-A-Y.com, to buy the book. It is a Wicked Sun release, and uh, it is brand new, and we are highly recommending it. Scott, in terms of uh, purchasing, and I'm assuming your website is sufficient, right? Well, they can go, frankly, I can also go on Amazon, okay. Barnes & Noble. It's really, it's it's in the part of the uh, Simon & Schuster catalog, so oh, nice. you can get it anywhere, frankly. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Scott Shea's website, it's called Conspiracy U, that's a letter U, initial U, Scott Shea is S-H. A Y. I take this opportunity to say Mazal Tov on the book. It's an amazing one, and a, uh, a, a uh, wishes to you for a happy Hanukkah. Baruch Tiyah, Hanukkah Sameach. There he is, Scott Shea. The book is called Conspiracy. You get it, everybody. We're highly recommending it. Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up at JM in the AM.